0: Welcome to Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. This is the podcast where we explore the people and stories that make up the tech and venture ecosystem. Don't forget to subscribe, like, rate, and share the podcast because it really helps us get the word out to more people who are curious about understanding even more about the world of venture capital. This season of Nothing Venture is sponsored by Odin. Odin helps angels, VCs and founders to raise and deploy capital seamlessly. You can structure your SPVs and now run your funds, handle capital calls, portfolio management more smoothly and easily in one place. Founders use Odin to raise their entire round in a few clicks by simply sending investors a link and receiving investments immediately. Odin works with over 5,000 investors and over 150 emerging fund managers and angel syndicates globally. Head to joinodin.com to learn more. That's J-O-I-N-O-D-I-N dot Hello and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today, I am really excited to have within the studio, Josh Bell. Uh, Josh is one of the founding and general partners at Dawn Capital, which recently raised an incredible $700 million fund, despite the current headwinds in the VC ecosystem. Dawn is a specialist B2B software investor, backing category-defining global companies at Series A and B, often following on all the way through to exit. In today's episode, we talk about the fact that venture has matured and is generating amazing returns despite challenging times. We talk about Dawn's journey 17 years on from their first $30 million fund, uh, whether the SEIS and EIS schemes have been a success, and why diversity has helped Dawn break through, as well as evangelizing customers and looking for more of the same at Series A. Let's get straight into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Ari Shah. Today, I'm really excited to have with me in the studio, Josh Bell. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to check out uh, some of Josh's background, do look at our Primer episode, uh, which we released a couple of days ago. Uh, For the meantime, though, Josh, great to have you here in the studio with me. Thanks. Pleasure to be here, Harris. Excellent. Let's dive straight in. So you've been in the VC game for coming up to 17 years now, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Give me a sense of where you think the ecosystem is right now in the context of both the reset that we've been experiencing over the last couple of years, as well as the fact that Dawn just raised this incredible $700 million fund uh, uh, recently closed, Uh, clearly there is still capital out there seeking a home. Um, And I guess it's worth touching on some of the incredible exits Dawn has seen, including iZettle, which we talked about in the primer, and why Dawn has stuck to its knitting, investing in B2B enterprise software.
1: Yeah, absolutely. look we see venture capital now being very much uh, it, it's a maturing asset class in the sense that it's had its proven returns through challenging times over the last 15 years we've seen it really be an asset class which the large institutions are now very keen on having as permanent parts of their um of of their broader kind of Portfolio as LPs, um, and you know the nature of kind of investors who who we talk to about our funds, and those who are approaching us and who are interested in kind of getting access to European B two B venture is um, is a different world, perhaps from where we were 15 years ago when we first started having these conversations with LPs. Mm. So it's really kind of large institutional investors really see us as a permanent part of their broader asset base. Um, And they also really understand the class that we're investing in, Um, in large part because we've had terrific success stories within venture of companies going from zero to 100 billion like Airbnb and beyond, you know, as we discussed in the primer, some huge companies being built off the back of venture capital. Mm. So it's really seen that this is um, an exciting space to deploy um, long term growth capital. Mm. And for us, we've. We've kind of had the benefit over the last 15, 16, 17 years of of really focusing within, within B2B. So enterprise software, we're um, the largest dedicated enterprise software fund within Europe. Mm. And enterprise software is now seen as being a must-have for a lot of the LPs looking to invest into European venture.
0: Talking about B2B enterprise, right? Um, so... Over the last several years, we've seen kind of venture being deployed into what I would call slightly odd uh, businesses. Uh, So things like 50-minute grocery delivery. Obviously, you guys don't invest in D2C or or, or kind of consumer businesses. On the enterprise side, though, I kind of feel like there's been a lot of tech that has been built um, that is tangential, not really category defining or transformational. We're seeing a lot of this in the sort of CFO tech space uh, where you have lots of businesses being built, but the market or, or their ability to capture the whole market isn't there. And I think over the last five, six years, we probably saw quite a few of those businesses. So, How do you differentiate between what is going to be a truly category winning, category defining Uh, B2B enterprise software business versus one that is, you know, maybe a vitamin rather than a a, a painkiller.
1: Absolutely. Um, So obviously a lot of the businesses we look at perhaps might be defined as potentially features of products rather than kind of the broader product itself. Now for those, if we see kind of existing category defining players being able to extend some of their reach and do that themselves, then actually that redefines how we would think about investing in that company. But I think there's an important distinction here. That might be the case with companies which are perhaps simply playing to, to features. But there are certain companies which play to verticals, mm. where the vertical itself can be absolutely large enough to be interesting. The addressable market can be enormous just in the vertical. And also, it's quite easy to then extend beyond the vertical into other geos and so on. So um, so I think it depends on the on the depth and complexity of the product mm-hmm. as to whether the category can be defined by it.
0: Okay. I mean, one of the things that I'm, I wouldn't say I'm worried about, but, uh, but I, I see potentially happening is with the kind of explosion of the generative AI and the kind of cost of software development having dropped so significantly, do you think there's a potential to see some fragmentation? So actually, you know, to your point, uh, further verticalization or, or niche sort of products being built because that, that cost to build has dropped so so significantly. And do you think we might end up seeing some of those larger B2B enterprise software businesses uh, being challenged by um, uh, smaller businesses taking t- taking kind of very specific parts of their market share away because they're able to um, essentially unbundle some of the, the the product suite that the larger players have built, or is that not something that you you particularly see as a as a concern? I mean, we see
1: that as you know the democratization for us is is an enormous opportunity. Yeah, is being able to go in there and you know find the founders who are able to take advantage of how how cheap and cost-effective it now can be to build uh, an Im- innovative um, category-defining player for far less than you ever needed to in the past. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for those, I mean, that's what pure venture capital is. Mm. You know, we can, we can invest into those. We don't necessarily see that as threats to our existing businesses. If anything, it's, it's opportunities longer term.
0: Yeah, okay, makes a lot of sense. This season of Nothing Ventured is proudly sponsored by Emerge One. Emerge One provides fractional CFO support to venture-backed tech startups and scale-ups. They work with businesses from C to Series B that have been backed by some of the UK, US and Europe's best venture capital funds. They provide support from capital allocation and management, KPIs and reporting, fundraising support, financial modeling, investor relations and investor management. Come check them out at emergeone.co.uk when you're scaling fast and have need of a CFO. So, so going back to kind of the the state of the ecosystem, maybe a little bit. As you know, many of the guests that we've had on the podcast are emerging managers. So, how do you think they will fare in general versus more established managers like like Dawn in the current environment? Because presumably, for many of them, they'll be needing to show returns preferably DPI, back to LPs as soon as possible because they will be looking to raise the next funds over the next one, two, three years, um, but maybe haven't had enough time. And in a current market where you're seeing less fewer secondaries, maybe fewer large exits, they may not have the ability to to show those returns back to LPs in, in the way that they would have hoped. How do you think they're going to fare? Um,
1: I think for earlier managers, um, there needs to be, certainly proof of the strength of the early bets they've made within their portfolios. For those who are perhaps just having invested one fund or perhaps two, there's quite limited expectation that you could really have DPI and, mm. and exits. So it's a little too early doors for that. Mm. But I think if those if those are kind of um, knockout investments, which have been resilient in this environment, uh, LPs can see that. I mean, LPs are in here for a multi- Um, manager multi-decade investment game Mm. and for them it's it's not like they ever take a view of well it's just um uh it's perhaps less dpi coming back right now Mm. and therefore i'm no longer interested in emerging managers they might be somewhat more selective Mm -hmm. at the moment but that's perhaps just a healthy thing because Mm. you know you want to find the best managers out there i do hear of a lot of Great emerging managers still being able to raise uh, raise funds. And I, I think that will be the case going forward. Um, so it's it's perhaps a harder time, but but certainly, you know, this is uh, the business now is as I said at the start is a very well established asset class. It's mm. certainly easier to have the conversations perhaps than it was when we started back in the kind of 06, 07 with these kind of LPs, and I think for managers and GPs um executing a consistent playbook to target you know the businesses they want to invest in this is still a great time to be raising a venture capital fund
0: yeah and i guess the the flip side of that as as i think we dis- i discussed in the 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 last episode i recorded with antonio is you know, that old trope that, you know, in, in tough times, great businesses are built. So actually, if you're an emerging manager today, hopefully you should be able to find some really incredible uh, future, you know, future unicorns or, or, or success stories.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, as, as we were just saying earlier, you know, the democratization of the uh, ability to found companies with them becoming so much cheaper enables on less capital businesses to be built, mm. combined with um, the relative cost of investing for, managers has now come down with a perhaps a a resetting of some of the prices in the market. Mm. So, you know, those two factors combined, there's a lot of dry powder in the market and so on, means actually there's a lot of capital right now waiting to invest into these companies which are getting it right.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, we will be Uh, next week will actually be, before this episode uh, airs, we'll be uh, recording a live um, episode with Peter Walker, who's the head of Data Insights at Carter. Uh, And their Q3 report just came out. And I think um, what what they've seen is ongoing decline. So I think there's sort of um, around about 30% fewer deals being done and around about 30% less capital being deployed quarter on quarter. But equally, the medium valuations have increased a little bit, right? Um, and uh, so clearly, great businesses are getting are getting funded, right? And that's testament to the dry powder that's still out there. Um, so it's more it's it's less a case of there isn't money; it's more a case of for the right businesses, there is still a huge amount of capital uh, waiting to be deployed.
1: Completely. I mean, we announced two weeks ago our investment in a bright um, mm. payments business out of out of Sweden. We're super excited about um, Lena and the team who are building this business. It's the largest check we've ever written into a Series A business. So the the companies are there, the capital is there, and the opportunity is there.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, When we first met, just changing tack for for a second, we had quite a brief but very interesting conversation, certainly from my perspective, around the way the UK uh, especially has incentivized early stage investment by schemes like uh, SEIS and EIS, how it's recently relaxed uh, the rules on pension funds, ability to invest in risky asset classes, uh, and and more. Um, But you have quite a strong opinion, uh, which would probably be quite contrarian to many uh, other people's on the value and success of, of some of those schemes so i'd love for you to talk me through uh, your thought process and why you're not necessarily a, a fan um
1: i think there have been some schemes which have been established mm. um which have been supporting companies which perhaps have had the um Consequence of supporting companies which aren't working for longer, perhaps, than they 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 kind of need to be supported. Yeah. Um, now there might be very good reasons for that, um, but you know, it is ultimately the taxpayer paying for this, and I think whilst there are um, perhaps some sledgehammer to kind of crack a nut schemes around EIS and SEIS, which clearly do work for a handful of companies which do manage to make it through. Mm. At the same time, I'm not convinced that in the round, this is necessarily the most effective way to target um, taxpayer money Mm. at solving kind of the broader equity gap available. You know, the other end, we were the Uh, one of the early recipients of what was called the Enterprise Capital Fund Scheme back in 2007. The award was in 2006. This was based on the the US government's SBIC scheme to Mm. encourage um, first managers in the venture capital space to raise raise their first funds and to be able to deploy, you know, two to five million pounds into early stage companies addressing the equity gap. That was, you know, under-resourced at the time. And the scheme was very cleverly designed to encourage private money to come into it. And over 40 schemes uh, or 40 funds so far have been um, uh, have been raised and deployed. I think that was a very effective use of government money, looking at the returns, uh, and perhaps more effective than some of the tax breaks to individuals to, yeah. you know... T- to support other companies without actually looking at the quality of the companies themselves
0: yeah I, th- I think i mean i go to and fro on this a lot i think obviously what seis and eis have, have allowed uh, many to do is to build more companies but they aren't necessarily going to be category defining companies i think which is which is probably your, your point right and they uh, continue to raise under seis or EIS, more, more, more typically under eis into the longer term but then are also I, and I talked to a lot of founders, obviously, uh, a lot of those founders are surprised, I think, maybe when they're not able to raise venture, yeah. uh, because they they assume that having raised SEIS and EIS, that is an actual pathway to being able to raise from, from VC, whereas obviously, as an angel, I may be happy with the three, five... Seven eight x return, maybe even less. It doesn't doesn't necessarily uh, matter. Plus, I get my tax break, so I have that incentive. Whereas, obviously, for VC, it's very much about well, I need to return the fund plus plus right which which um w- which requires a certain type of business founder as you've as you've mentioned uh, to be able to do that right so um one of the things i think is is has always been interesting to me is here in the uk and europe i think more generally we tend to see less venture at the pre-seed level versus say the us because seis and eis have kind of eaten up that that area, um, whereas, and therefore you have this sort of, you know, this issue or this circumstance where you have many, many more businesses being founded, but not necessarily at the right quality. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, if we look at the data set of perhaps who we've invested in, and um, forgive me, the numbers aren't exactly correct. I believe it's about 70 companies over over the last 16, 17 years of whom perhaps, coming up to a third to but less than a half of those are within the UK. Mm. I'm not sure whether any of them had, or maybe perhaps one or two at most, had EIS or SEIS money. So if you replicate that across the broader venture capital space, um, it's not obvious to me at all mm. that these companies are breaking through into raising VC money and becoming large breakout exits. So looking at it from that side of the telescope, it doesn't make sense to me why this is where the taxpayer money is being deployed.
0: Yeah. So, and and actually I think framing it in that way is, is quite interesting because I always look at it from the perspective, okay, well it makes it easier for, um, for, uh, for businesses to raise money. But the flip side of that is, well, okay, yes, but that's less tax going into the, into the, into the treasury. Uh, And equally, um, you know, I think as I say, it, 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 often raises a little bit of a delusional kind of attitude that because you've been able to raise any external capital you can raise, you can definitely raise, um, you know, again and again and again. And I think a lot of founders then get very surprised when that isn't necessarily the case. I, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, whilst this isn't a diversity podcast, the theme comes up quite a lot um, probably because we it, it's raised so much whenever Anyone in the press talks about VC. Dawn's team is majority women, I believe. Right? Was that by design? Um, and do you believe that greater diversity amongst the team necessarily leads to better investment decisions and outcomes? So answering the questions in reverse order, sure,
1: um, absolutely. We um, we think being able to move beyond. You know, initially we were um, we were three men who had come to kind of raise the first fund. We've massively turn that on their head by hiring the best people at each stage and now we're absolutely a majority woman firm it means we don't have groupthink. we work in very different ways we think in different ways there's um a huge diversity within the team not only within um within gender but also within um nationality within sexual orientation within um so many ways in which people then kind of can do the next stage of investing and not come with the um all the straight white men in suits perceive that this is actually what the customer wants. Mm. So we're very proud of our of our record within diversity. And um, I think it has helped us to accelerate to the place where we are today.
0: Yeah. I think I think what's really interesting to me is that there is this sort of almost a trope, right? Like again, uh that within venture yeah, there aren't enough uh, female investors coming through the ranks, so that therefore it's hard to find female partners. Um, but you know, I guess there's also the argument that therefore someone has to be the first to take that punch, right? Someone has to has to actually uh, uh, take the bull by the horns and 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 bring in female investors, even if they aren't quite at Partner level to partner level, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we have a very specific um, model, which is we really bring people in early doors, associates, sometimes as VPs. Mm -hmm. They come in there and they really spend time, as in a number of years with Dawn, um, progressing through the ranks. We never do external hires. What it means is that Evgenia, who's now a general partner, is the most senior role we have within the firm. Mm. She was the first general partner within europe in a vc fund to be promoted all the way through from starting the most junior levels we have the same thing with with mina who came through she's now a partner with daniela and so on all of our team really kind of started early on and work within dawn um to you know to show their chops within investing. So we don't have this challenge, which I know some other VC funds have had, which is where they say, oh, well, it's fine that we're not we're not hiring women because it's so hard to hire them. Mm. Um, and why would they want to come across it? None of that solution uh, or lack of a solution makes sense to us. We bring in simply the very best people we do at the entry level as investors. And what we've actually found is, in more cases than not, it's been women who've broken through and been promoted to be partners on our investment team.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's super interesting. I think there's a couple of uh, there's probably a couple of things that that come out of that. So firstly, often when I talk to people within venture especially at the more junior levels, they tend to not see that pathway up to partnership within the funds that they're working within the firms they're working with. So it, it typically becomes more of a job than 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 anything else uh and that leads to a lot of kind of attrition and and moving around so obviously the fact that dawn is able to encourage and drive um uh people through the ranks i think is really commendable i think the second kind of thing and I'll, i'll probably get smacked down for saying this but i i i have a feeling that um women in general tend to stick things out a bit longer uh, and are less sort of jumpy in terms of looking for that next role or promotion or step up the ladder. And as a result, because they're patient around uh, around their approach, they're able to work through those ranks, right? Because they're they're sticking with the same firm and, and going through that process, as opposed to, I, I guess, you know, certainly from my experience, a lot of a lot of guys will will constantly, you know, after six months or a year, want to want to look for the next thing, right? The next shiny object.
1: Look, it's it's from our side. It was a a very it was a long term game, hmm. so it was really finding great team members years ago mm. and having them be promoted through the ranks and it happened at the time that in more cases than not it ended up being women who were the mm. the strongest candidates to come in and then often it's been the women who uh have been the best investors and, and worked their way through the ranks so um that's where we are today and that's you know worked incredibly well for us yeah
0: so definitely a playbook that others should uh should consider taking on i i, I think and finally, just to sort of wrap up, for anyone building in the B2B space right now, what are the sort of metrics and growth profiles that they they need to be showing to be able to look for investment f- from DAWN or others uh, as they approach sort of Series A? Because obviously we see a lot of the napkin, SaaS metrics and so on and so forth. But for, from your perspective, what are you looking for?
1: Absolutely. So we look for a couple of things. Um, at, at the highest level, we look for... Um, evangelizing customers who are paying significantly for the product and want more of it. You know, what this really translates into is, you know, revenues, we would look for there being at least seven figures of revenue. So one, two, three million dollars of revenue with a really significant momentum behind that. So kind of backward growth of two, three, 400% in terms of how the business is growing and looking forward, you know, maintaining a similar kind of profile going forward. So we can really see that the Capital we're deploying into the business can be most effectively, you know, used as fuel on the fire. Um, I think there's a lot of conversation now around, oh, you need to kind of show profitability or ability to go break Mm. even and so on. Now that's true in terms of perhaps after we invest and sort of for the next round. I think I think it's Series A. That's certainly too early for that. I mean, we're looking at deploying. 15 million plus into a company we don't necessarily want to see companies which at our stage are anywhere near break even Mm. we we kind of can assess whether that's the case longer term but for us it's seeing the roi on the capital we're deploying and the fact that there's massively excited existing customers who have a lot of headroom in how they can spend with the company alongside a huge potential untapped pool of of other customers Mm. out there um that combined with you know a target within um uh European enterprises led by a great team, that for us is a very exciting combination.
0: Yeah, I, I think what's really interesting is is exactly that conversation around sort of break even and, and getting to profitability. Uh <laughs> we w- that message I think is actually counterproductive for a lot of businesses that are trying to grow and scale because once you once you um essentially bend your business into uh being uh cash positive or, or break even it's very hard to then keep the momentum up on growth right because all your focus is on on constraint to some extent Completely. right so constraining costs constraining spend uh, and then it's very hard to break out of that again um unless unless you just have a product that is you know that, that is taking off and 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 um you know your costs are already very low but i i think that 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 false narrative um is actually counterproductive, uh, uh, because all it all it then does is, well, I say all it then does, it, it obviously creates sustainable businesses, but it's not going to create the businesses that scale and exit at, 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 at large valuations.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, and, you know, we should be careful about taking lessons, which we currently see in public markets today. Obviously, they're valuing um, profitability and ability to to break even more, perhaps than they did in the past, but taking those lessons and prescribing them with a complete overlay onto potential Series A investments. Mm. Um, Obviously, over time, there'll be lessons about how the company should grow and deploy capital. But at the stage at which we invest, we're really looking for momentum and ROI on our capital.
0: Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, you know, especially in this sort of environment where... As we said earlier there is capital out there to be deployed it's about you know finding great businesses so i think founders who focus on building great category defining businesses rather than worrying about at least at that level at that stage that sort of profitability question means they'll have more of a chance to build an incredible business over over the longer term um and i guess to your earlier point right as long as you can map out or you can see the directionality, how that pathway to profitability can be achieved over the longer term, then at Series A, it's really you know neither here nor there whether they're whether they're actually breaking even. And in fact, one could argue, well, if they're breaking even, breaking even or, or, or even generating cash why do they need to raise additional capital, right? Absolutely. So, um, Josh, it's been absolutely amazing having you here in the studio with me today. Um, for our audience, where's the best place for them uh, to find you online? You're on LinkedIn, you're on Twitter, where, where can they find
1: absolutely. you? Absolutely. Uh, Dawn Capital website has all my details. Uh, Twitter at Josh Bell, LinkedIn, Josh Bell URL.
0: Excellent. Um, Josh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, really enjoyed it, Arish. Thank you.